Dr. Michael Roizen. Dr. Michael Roizen. You, the Owner's Manual Radio Show. You're listening to You, the Owner's Manual Radio Podcast and Radio MD, iHeart, or wherever you download us from. Thank you very much for doing that. Um, we are in, this is 1120B. The Bs are always great guests, and we have a sensational guest lined up for you today. Elena, E-L-E-N-A, Lister, is a associate professor of clinical psychiatry at New York Presbyterian, the Weill Cornell Medical Center, senior consulting analyst for grief at the Columbia Psychoanalytic Center, and um, a obviously a physician who has written uh, I Will Remember You, a guidebook through grief for teens. This book is, uh, she has written another book, Giving Hope, Conversations with Children About Illness, Death, and Loss, uh, a Penguin Random House book. Um, before we get started, I should thank our sponsors, Life's First Naturals. Um, they've been with us for a number of years. Life's First Naturals. You can go to their website, lifesfirstnaturals.com, find out about the randomized controlled trials that have shown a benefit for bovine colostrum, something I take daily with aspirin as well. Um, Elena, um, how did you get into the field of grief for children? It seems to me such a difficult field. You know, I'm really glad you asked that because um, the book, Giving Hope, was really a passion project for me. And it arises because about 28 years ago, my younger daughter, I had two children at the time, aged four and seven, and my four-year-old was diagnosed with leukemia, ALL, the very curable kind. Uh, and she died of that leukemia at age six. And, uh, and so at that time, I'm I had sorry. a nine-year-old. Thank you. Thank you. And it really changed the course of my professional life because I learned how ill-equipped doctors as well as parents, family members, friends are to talk about illness and death, especially the death of a child, but death at all. And there were many moments when we felt alone because we were facing something that nobody wanted to look at. And I just decided that for the rest of my professional career, I wanted to help other people not feel as alone as we had at times. Now, the the incredible thing I learned early on when um, there was a accident uh, when a child got run over, who was one of my faculty members' children in uh, Chicago, was that, um, and I did a little research in the area and found out that um, there was a very high prevalence of divorce among the parents who had lost a child. So that's a different aspect of this same problem. But I, one, one of the things that I was very cognizant of in growing up is my parents kind of hid the death of my grandparents from me when they died, and they were trying to protect me. Don't talk to him about this. I mean, I heard them say, and um, it it was a curiosity of 
of why I was being protected from something. Is that common? Do parents protect um, the uh, ch child from death and from the discussion of death? I, I have to say, you, in your experience, you have demonstrated so many of the things that we make points about in the book. Just that little example of your own experience. So first, let me speak to the divorce aspect. I can ha say that happily, my husband and I are still together, um, 35, 37 years now. Yeah, you've got to remember and, the uh, kind, so Elena, or, or if he <laughs> listens in, we're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Got it. And every year, I, every year counts. And uh, the way we manage that, though, is also relevant to the things we write about in the book, because... We went into the experience of our daughter dying aware, we were two psychiatrists, aware of the risk of, um, you know, alienation between each other. And we decided that we didn't want our remaining daughter to lose further by having us have difficulty and be separate. And so um, that was another thing I learned about how you take care of yourself when you're grieving and how you take care of your partner when you're grieving, as well as any other children who might be in your life. But we did not um, shield our either one of our children from what was going on. In fact, my uh, five and three quarter year old at the time when we found out she was terminal asked me directly, am I going to die from this? And she knew, and it was clear to me that she knew. And she sensed, she said, I sense it inside myself. And um, so we lived the last three months of her life all knowing that she was terminally ill and would die at some point soon. They weren't sure when. They said a few weeks to a few months. And it was the most exquisitely agonizing time of my life and in some ways the most exquisitely beautiful time of my life because we were so open, so heartful, so in the moment. And it really taught me that you do not need to, quote unquote, shield a child from harsh realities. And I've since done a lot of, you know, studying. I've had a lot of uh, clients myself who have worked with us. And our experience is that the best protection comes from not shielding, comes from a child learning that with you, parent or caretaker of any sort, at their side, they can face hard stuff in life. And if they can face the hard stuff with you, then they take that inside of themselves and they grow up believing that they can face future hard stuff. Um, and if you're shielded, you don't get an, a possibility of experiencing yourself in that way with a parent right with you. But parents do this with the best of intentions. It is because there is a concern that it's just too much for a child to take. It would be too scary because... If your grandfather could die, maybe you, young boy, would begin to worry that they could die or that you could die or someone else in your family could die. And we're aware that those are concerns that a child might have, but we also offer in our book ways to handle those concerns. And in our experience, if those concerns come up, in fact, it's reassuring to a child to be able to think about it because... Children are surrounded by death. Besides the fact that you also demonstrated a smart little guy you must have been, that you overheard anyway 
you knew what was going on. You knew people were talking about it. And in some sense, you were kind of left alone with it. And we would advocate instead that you have parents there to be with you in the hard stuff as opposed to hearing about it, you know, overhearing it and then kind of sitting with having to sit with it yourself as a young person. So um, I, I think also, our, I mean, parents, I was not parented um, to avoid uh, dealing with death. And I am very grateful to my father in particular because of that. But most of us have not been parented to talk directly about death with children. So then when we become parents, we don't know how to do it. And it scares the heck out of us also. Who wants to think about their mortality? And if you're going to talk with a child about death, you're going to think about death yourself. (laughs) You should. And that's scary to ourselves as well. So in some way, we're kind of thinking we protect ourselves. We don't have to think about it if we don't have to talk to our children about it. But we believe that um, protection comes from knowing, you know, knowledge is power. Um, and and back to children being surrounded by death, if you have ever watched any Disney film, it's hard to find one without death in it, in, in any various forms. If you read children's books, if you look at nature, if they overhear the news, um, we're living in the midst of a pandemic where the you know number of deaths is announced every day. So you aren't shielding your child from death. You're just not providing them a forum to talk it out with you. They know it exists already. We're not, you're not introducing them to something that, that, that they haven't observed already in life. Um, Dr. Lister, I forgot to ask yeah. you if there's a website for this before we got on. I normally <laughs> do that. Is there a website for the book? There's not a website for the book, but there's a website for both my co-author and myself. And my website, thank you for asking, is elenalistermd.com. And I'll spell it out because my name, my first name is one of those names that nobody gets right. And I've always, <laughs> my entire life, had to tell people. Uh, it's E-L-E-N-A and then L-I-S like Sam T-E. E-R, Elena Lister, MD.com. And my co-author is Michael Schwartzman, and his uh, website is MichaelSchwartzmanPhD.com. And I'll see if I can spell this for you. M-I-C-H-A-E-L-S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z-M-A-N-P-H-D.com. You get 100% in spelling. Um, now, Ooh, one of the but uh, and, and all, one thing is on on the websites we have all sorts of information about the book. Just now, one, now one, I want to make sure I answered your question. Yes, and one of the things that um, I'm curious about is at what age can should children be exposed to this? My my son is a pediatric endocrinologist at uh, at Penn and at Chop and. Um, I know when their child was under five, they didn't want uh, her to see um, the death from COVID-19. Um, she wasn't having it, but they um, were talking in very uh, muted tones about the virus. And I didn't know, uh, since we didn't have a pandemic uh, that I know of during my time, other than uh, 
um, in bringing them up, um, our children up. I didn't know about that. Is that common? Is there an age at which you can start, or is it any age? Well, I actually believe it's any age. My absolutely wonderful niece, who I adore, and her husband have a a two-and-a-half-year-old little girl. And she, I mean, she's special to me. She's my grandniece, so I'm going to think she's terrific. But she's an ordinary little girl. And when my mother-in-law died recently, she kept asking about it. We call her Nanny. Where's Nanny? Where's Nanny? How come she's not coming? Two and a half. And um, so I think, you know, she noticed the absence. And I guess you could say, oh, she's traveling in Europe. But that's an outright lie. And I really believe that it's not good to lie to kids. Um, So because you want to build trust that they know that if they come to you, they will get the truth. So I think in general, uh, advice number one would be if your child is already coming to you with it, whatever age they are, it's time. And then the second thing is uh, if there is a death in the family, sadly, um, at that point, I think it's also time. Um, and two and a half is young, but we would say three and up. And, and if a two and a half year old is asking, because if there's been a death in the family, the parents are going to be upset. And then you have a child with a, a parents who are upset and the child doesn't know why. And children are left then with two things. Either they think it's much, much, much worse than it actually may be because they begin to imagine what is going on, what is upsetting everybody, or they think they did something wrong. And in some ways, then, telling them the truth is relieving. It isn't about you. Um, It isn't about us. And if it were about us, meaning parents, we have ways to handle that as well. Um, So if they ask, pretty much at any age, but especially any time over three, and I've had the experience that children at, at that age, we used to think that children didn't really understand death until about age seven. And our, we've advanced our understanding since that time. And now it really depends on the child, but many children understand death earlier than that. They don't understand all the details that you or I might, but they get it that somebody is gone and not coming back. And that's really, I mean, the core concept of it. There are four basic principles that underlie what is death, and children learn each of them in various times of life. But um, I think overall, we have not found that kids do not understand it. They get it. They may test the reality like, wait, you mean they're really not coming back? And if you say, yeah, they're really not coming back and we're all really sad about it, they get it. They completely get it. And then you have a chance to hug about it and talk about it, and they can ask any questions they have. So, again, well-intentioned, completely coming from a place of heartful wish to protect our children from suffering. But we believe the best protection is knowledge. I want to thank you. The book is called Giving Hope. Conversations with Children About Illness, Death, and Loss. You heard that Elena Lister, MD.com, is a easy website, E-L-E-N-A-L-I-S-T-E-R-M-D, 
Schwartzman.com. Um, I'm not going to try to get Michael Schwartzman, PhD.com's <laughs> website spelled out, but Elena uh, Lister.com. I have learned a lot, and the book um, is obviously filled with both stories and experience of someone who is wonderful and has a passion about this area. Again, our sponsor, thanks for going to their website. Even if you don't get anything, just go to their website and read the data. Is lifesfirstnaturals.com, lifesfirstnaturals.com. My own website, greatagereboot.com. And you can always ask us questions at questions at greatagereboot or info at greatagereboot.com. Uh, feel free to suggest guests or suggest questions for any guest that you suggest or for any guest. Thanks again for listening. Caitlin, thank you for engineering. Elena, thank you especially. That's Elena Lister, L-I-S-T-E-R-E-L-E-N-A-L-I-S-T-E-R-M-D.com is the website. Um, and may... Uh, we have, you have obviously changed how I would handle situations, probably how a lot of other people would. Thank you very much. We'll be back next week with another one of our wonderful guests. And by the way, you'll want to listen to a couple of the past ones. The um, last one was Annette Baker um, on 1119B talking about neurofibromatosis and the new therapies for it, 1118B, Tornado of Life. And one of my favorite in the recent past is Inside the Orphan Drug Revolution. That was 1117B. Of course, the latest medical news of the week and what it means to you is always on the A segments. Thanks again. We'll be back next week.